Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Amy Podcast. I'm Terry Baker. Today, we will be discussing the standards that govern the quality management systems for medical device manufacturers. To discuss this interesting topic, we're joined by Eamon Hoxie of EV Hoxie Limited. He is a writer, trainer, and consultant on a range of life science topics, including regulatory compliance, quality management, sterility assurance, and standards development. Eamon is chair-elect of the Amy Board of Directors and chair of the Amy Foundation Board. Welcome to the show, Eamon. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much, Terry. It's, uh, it's very nice to be here, and thanks for the, um, the invitation and the opportunity to have a chat with you. It's an important discussion, and if you could help get us started, can you please give us an overview of the standard ANSI AMI ISO 13485? Sure. Well, uh, 13485 um, describes, provides a specification for a quality management system that's intended for regulatory purposes for medical devices. The latest edition is the third edition, was published in, um, in March 2016. And what it does, it gives you a framework or a structure that an organization can include to give it a, a, um, a structured way to have a, this quality management system into which the regulatory requirements uh, for that quality management system can be inserted. So it gives you a, a framework and a, way, a process and a way of working that you can bring all the regulatory requirements that apply to you in. So depending on how many uh, jurisdictions you might go to, which may have different requirements or slightly modifications of those requirements, you can put use this as a structure to hang all of those regulatory requirements on. It's used by organizations throughout the life cycle and the supply chain for medical devices. So it's not only an organization that does everything from concept through design, development, manufacture, places on the market, um, delivers it all the way through. Any one of those aspects, an organization that specialized only in design and development could use the standard a company that only did logistics for medical devices could also use the standard. Hmm. The specialist services, uh, for example, something like calibration or, or something like that, that an organization doing just one of those elements could also use it as well as what we traditionally think of as the manufacturer of a medical device. Some of our listeners might uh, get this right off the bat. For, for the rest of us, why is this standard so important? Well, what it does is it gives and it provides an international consensus and a basis for some global recognition. So it's a single standard which is recognized in many, many jurisdictions across the world, generally in terms of providing a presumption of conformance or um, a link to a way of meeting the regulatory requirements. In the case of Canada, for example, it's actually specifically cited as a regulatory uh, requirement. Mm. But most other jurisdictions recognize it as a way of meeting their regulatory requirements. So it's the basis for the Medical Device Single Audit Program. People Mm. often call that MDSAP. And it really gives a, a way to bring together the regulatory requirements and get a move towards harmonizing them across the world. So as you mentioned, 13485 was updated in 2016. For the people that might have been familiar with the uh, 2003 version, what is the major difference between the 2003 and 2016 edition of the standard? Well, there's a number of areas, and I'll I'll talk through um, I'll talk through several of them. You know, one of the big ones is that the number of references uh, to 
putting those regulatory requirements into the quality management system has has gone up. So in the old version of the standard, if you're somewhat nerdy like me and you count these things up, the old version of the standard had nine references in the in the normative clauses to uh, regula- regulatory requirements and including them in the quality management system. The new version actually has 37 references, so places where those those regulatory requirements um, that go in. It could be in adverse event device reporting. It could be in um, bringing your UDI system in. It could be having your clinical investigations within the quality management system. But it brings all of those regulatory requirements and, as I said, hangs them on the structure of your your quality management system. Hmm. And what it's been trying to do is is to also then reflect how the expectations or interpretations of the standard have evolved since um, since the previous version was published in 2003. So I mentioned before the scope now explicitly covers any organization in the supply chain or the life cycle of a medical device, not just uh, manufacturers. So that, that's been clarified. Like the, the link with regulatory requirements, there's a much bigger emphasis explicitly on risk management that risk was uh, was mentioned actually twice in the 2003 version. Now there are 16 references to it, as well as a number of ways in which uh, risk is actually applied in making decisions in the quality management system. Design and development, some of the requirements around what needs to be documented have been clarified um, to reflect those expectations that we talked about more emphasis on resourcing for design and development and the competency of those uh, resources. And there's a, comp- a totally new clause in there on design transfer, how you take the output of design and move it into the manufacturing process to make sure that designs aren't thrown over the wall to production, but actually there's a process that's planned to take that output and put it into effect in the in the manufacturing activities. Purchasing, previously just sort of vaguely mentioned evaluating suppliers. Now it's quite explicit about having criteria for evaluating and selecting suppliers. There's a link with um, expectations when you outsource. So when you get get a process done by somebody else, something that's happening more and more since 2003, there's kind of a link in the purchasing control section about that. And that the verification you do on products that you purchase, that needs to be explicitly now risk-based. There's more on software validation. Previously, if it was software used for production, software used for monitoring and measurement, software that was in the device, it was explicitly covered. But software that used in the quality management system to drive your CAPA system for your documentation system, those kind of things weren't explicitly mentioned, whereas now they are explicitly required to be validated. There's a complete section now on complaint handling. Previously, there was sort of a requirement in a line in a whole load of text around feedback. Now it's got its own section on on complaint handling. So quite a few areas. But one I I really wanted to emphasize was an area which in some ways seemed like a small change, but actually I think is pretty significant. So previously in the improvement uh, area, you always had to um, maintain the uh, effectiveness of your quality management system. 
now, as well as maintaining the effectiveness of the quality management system, explicitly refers to and the safety and performance of the medical device with a reference then to to post-market surveillance. So it's it's got this explicit link to managing that whole life cycle of the medical device, mm. reacting to information once the device is on the market and how you integrate that into your quality management system. So I'm going to pause for breath after <laughs> a long um, explanation there of, of some of those uh, some of the changes, but hopefully it gives you a flavor to some of the areas that, mm-hmm. that I would say we haven't moved the goalposts, mm-hmm. but we've sharpened it up and really tried to bring it up to what the expectations are today in, in 2018, uh, as opposed to 2003, when the previous edition was finalized. Sure, it sounds a, a lot more comprehensive. So my next question is a three-part question. As we near the end of the three-year transition period for medical device developers and manufacturers to comply with the requirements set forth in the 2016 edition of 13485, A, how will this affect the way the medical device manufacturers do business around the world? B, in what ways have meeting these new requirements been a challenge for manufacturers? And C, ultimately, how will full implementation of these new requirements benefit manufacturers and healthcare in general? So how will it affect the way that device manufacturers do business? I think the, you know, that one of the things that we've seen is that in many cases the transition has, has been slow. Um, now the auditing organizations, the uh, conformity assessment bodies, are really pushing the um, manufacturers to make the changes. So I think uh, the momentum is really is really building up now to make the transition. So I think because it uh, really reflects what a lot of the expectations were from the previous version of the standard, there's a lot of changes to make to documentation and and get make sure the procedures are, are tightened up and and really reflect the new content but in many ways it's not a, a great big significant mind shift so it should be a relatively straightforward process to identify the gaps and 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 move the the gaps uh, move the gaps through so i don't think the challenge i think the challenge is really around resources and priorities and getting it done rather than there being something that's technically difficult requires some brand new IT system mm-hmm. or some some complex set of resources i think it is really a matter of around prioritization with many other things that are going on mm-hmm. and how you um how you deal with that so i think where it helps manufacturers is is that is in a couple of ways first of all by by clarifying what the expectations are and getting them written down. So we got to a stage, I think, with uh, the, the old version of the standard where people's expectations had moved beyond the words that were written on the piece of paper. So you, you could get some variation and uh, and those expectations weren't transparent between the auditors and the auditing organization. So I, I think it helps with that. Okay. I think you've got, a much better single uh, global harmonization around it. Because again, when things are not modified for a period of time, somebody goes off and think, oh, I, I want it to do to add this to it. I need it to do this. I need it to do this. And they go off in one direction. Somebody else might address a similar thing in a different way. So it kind of brings all of that together 
and it gives an opportunity to simplify, standardize the way that you work for different jurisdictions and to reduce some of your internal complexity. Toward the end of March, Amy, BSI, and the FDA will be holding an international conference on medical device standards and regulations in Arlington, Virginia. What will this meeting seek to achieve in relation to medical device quality systems? I'd, I'd say there are three things. So as we put together the program and looked at, a, at the session on, uh, on quality management systems that we're going to have there, you know, we've got three things that we've, that we've aimed to do. So first of all is to provide information, to inform on what the current status is, not only of the standard, but on some, many of the activities that go on in auditing and compliance around the standard. So what's happening with the medical device single audit program, what's happening with the FDA's case for quality, where are we in the transition to um, ISO 13485, how does it link in with the new medical device regulations in Europe and, and what's happening there. So, so an information uh, kind of piece. But then the idea is to look to the future for a couple of things. So one is to see what it, what's coming in the future, that what do we know about, mm-hmm. and what are the challenges that are, that are, going, to, um, are, are going to arise be, because of that. And from that, try and, and prompt a discussion about what should be the future ad- direction to address those, those future challenges and get some feedback uh, so that we can, we can kind of plot a course for um, what's go- where do we go with quality management systems. We, we've, the standard will at some point get revised again, and where do, we, where do we want it to go, and how do we make sure it's relevant and continues to be going in a way that, that meets the, the requirements of the regulators mm-hmm. and meets the requirements of the industry. There has been some speculation that the FDA is considering getting rid of its quality system regulation and instead focusing on requirements found in 13485. What are some of the challenges and potential advantages of such a change? I think I'd start with um, talking a little bit about the advantages. And um, I was a bit provocative at the previous (laughs) um, International Standards Conference (laughs) where I described the QSR as fossilizing the quality management system requirements. Because it was based on the first edition of 13485, in many ways, that's where many of the requirements came from, but we're now on the third edition, it hasn't continued to grow or continued to evolve to reflect expectations. I think what that means, as we've talked about previously in in this discussion, is that the auditors and the regulators start interpreting the words to mean something different than they did originally. And there's a real lack of transparency around the the expectations. Standards are not revised willy-nilly or or very quickly, and people complain about the time that they take to revise. But regulations very, very rarely get revised. It, It takes years, it's a long process, and it's very difficult to do. And it means that they they don't live. And I think, you know, the the QSR is showing its age. And I think um, there are some, uh, you know, there's an opportunity in having a way not only to bring it up to date, but also to keep it up to date, then, um, then moving forward. So I think the advantages are better transparency and consistency in, in application reflecting the evolution of the um, of the state of the art for quality management systems, bringing in or the opportunity to, to think about how it integrates with other 
programs that are going on. I mentioned the FDA's case for quality mm-hmm. and also the, the medical device single audit program. So getting more consistency around that and also giving manufacturers, particularly manufacturers who export opportunities to simplify and standardize within within their quality management system. So you can see, I think there's, there's a lot, there's a right. lot of potential in it. Right. The disadvantages I can certainly see from the point of view of a small manufacturer that doesn't export and maybe doesn't currently comply with 13485, there's a change there that they would would probably not want to have to make. Hmm. Uh, but um, you know, the, I, I think there's a there's a balance there between uh, between that. I don't know if they're going to do this, and if they do, you know, how those audits are going to take place. Um, but you know the FDA turns up and does the audits if they use conform or give a role potentially to conformity assessment bodies, then the arrangement with the manufacturer is is a little bit different. They may come more regularly. It will be interesting to see exactly if this goes ahead what form it'll take. But there are you know potentially certainly for smaller manufacturers who maybe um, concentrate solely on the domestic market, then this would be a change that they might not be in favor of. So I think I think that um, tries to give a, a kind of view from, from both sides. Sure. And I think those are great points that in the healthcare technology environment, it's kind of hard to stay static. And uh, certainly founding your quality system uh, regulation in something that's a few versions old or years old is probably not the best route, you know, being static like that versus uh, continuing to evolve the standard makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the other thing that I've, I I sometimes say is that yeah, that although it was based on on version one of one three four eight five, version one of one three four eight five was based on things that existed before that. Sure. And and it's essentially you know a nineteen eighties quality management system specification. And we're, you know, 30 to 40 years on from there, and we've learned things. So, you know, being able to reflect that, you know, in the 1980s, you saw a lot of paper documents and and things like that. The world's moved on now, and we we need to be able to reflect that, I think. Well, speaking of all the uh, international implications of this standard, we really appreciate you joining the show today uh, from the U.K., where are you at in the UK? I live in uh, the county of Gloucestershire. So I'm, uh, um, if you don't, if you know the geography of the UK, I'm a little bit west of of Oxford, in a nice, uh, beautiful part of the country called the the Cotswold Hills. <laughs> so um, it's actually a nice day, cold but clear, and um, and it looks beautiful outside. Well, sounds great. Uh, good to have a little international flavor here on the Amy Podcast. Before we wrap up, is there any final thought or point you'd like to make uh, for our listeners? I think I'd just kind of summarize what we've spoken about and just sort of try and and position again ISO 13485 as this holistic approach to a quality management system Mm -hmm. that gives you this framework that you can put regulatory requirements um, onto uh, and it gives you a way of making sure that you, you systematically comply with them rather than doing your best and hoping that you will. So that the, one of the outcomes of implementing this quality management system should be that you've got a systematic approach to complying with those regulatory requirements. Sounds great. Well, Eamon, once again, we'd like to thank you for joining us today to discuss the 13485 standard. Thank you very much. And we'd like to thank you, our listener, for joining us today for this episode of the Amy Podcast. To learn more about the 13485 standard and much more, 
stop by aami.org. For this episode of the Amy Podcast, I'm Terry Baker.